Tonight's New Testament reading is Acts chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11. It can be found on page 4 in your bulletin. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at, this, at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just say before I pray, these are heavy passages, aren't they? I mean, we're not used to in our day and age dealing with, like, judgment. And we'll talk a little bit about this. But one thing I want to just put in your mind is that holiness and love are just two sides of the same coin. I mean, we are very much a society about justice because we know that justice is love. And ultimately, what we're going to see through this is even dread, fear, and holiness is ultimately holding love accountable. But uh, that doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it easy. Let's pray. God, these are heavy passages, and uh, in them we feel like this is way too much. And uh, we even wonder, well, you're a God of love. How, how could this sort of judgment happen? But Lord, we pray we would open our eyes to see that you are perfect love, perfect justice, perfect holiness, perfect integrity. We pray that we would see uh, holiness ultimately as a beautiful thing. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, I want to start with a quote. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others 
with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves. That's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And what he's saying is this. This side of heaven, the idea of a sinless, perfect community and church is an illusion. It's not going to happen. And we've been studying the account in the book of Acts, preserved for us in the book of Acts, of this new community that has been produced by Jesus Christ, by his spirit, one new people. And in many ways, as God's spirit comes, it, it just seems ideal. We've just heard the second summary of this church. This one and the earlier one, you know, there was unity, hospitality, self-sacrifice, generosity. Those from the outside were being drawn in to be part of it. And then all of a sudden, like the wicked witch entrance into Oz, boom, sin. The sin happens in the middle of the ideal community. And I think, as I mentioned, what shocks us more and offends us more is the severe judgment rather than the sin itself. So if we long to be a new people made by God's Spirit, long to be the family of God, which is our theme for this year, we need to consider what threat did that represent? What threat was represented with Ananias and Sapphira? And why was it such a threat? So that's what we're going to look at together, okay? First of all, what was the threat of the sin? We had our annual block party yesterday, and I was talking to a mom who uh, we've known, that, known she and her husband uh, for a long time now. And uh, she now has a college-age son and one that's 18, and she was talking about just the um, anxiety that uh, social media creates in the life of people. You know, when I, when I grew up, uh, the only people I would compare myself to was like my junior high class, right? And that was enough to make me feel insecure. But you know, now those of you that have grown up, right, always seeing this outside world, this ideal world, and all these people, you end up just feeling this anxiety that I don't measure up. But this is the trick of it, right? This is the joke of it. Most of them are faking. Right? Most of them are projecting false impressions, a false righteousness, a false, I have it together. And of course, we're familiar with that because we still do that, right? <laughs> we'll project images, we'll project, give an impression of how hard we've worked when maybe most of the day we've been just kind of on, on Amazon. Or, um, you know, or maybe it's uh, all we did to clean up the house. I don't know if anybody else has done this, but, uh, you know, with your housemates. But, uh, you know, Meg will go off. She's in nursery, so don't tell her this. <laughs> Meg will go off, you know, and there's a certain amount of chores that we discussed. And maybe they took me an hour. She's been gone for four. And she said, well, what have you been doing? And I just said, well, yeah, you know, just was getting those things done. The impression, he's worked for four hours, right? We love to project things like, or maybe it's, you know, we project that we've prayed for someone when we haven't, 
where we project that we tithe more than we really do. Or we project high empathy but low service. You know, this feeling like, oh yeah, I really care, but I'm really not connected. Or the church projects just an image of perfection. Uh, our artor, artist in residence, Rex Doherty, uh, wrote an article, a uh, blog for us this week, and about the way the church often fails in its artistic endeavors with this. And this was a little part of that. I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, Rex writes, the vast majority of Christian art, however, either represents a life that is so squeaky clean that it's unachievable, or it is so overly sentimental that it refuses to engage with honest emotion. Most Christian art vastly misses the importance of emotional truth and thereby, thereby not only counterfeits humanity, but counterfeits God. So this idea of counterfeiting humanity or God is present in this passage. Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, see the praise that this guy Barnabas gets for selling things, and they covet it. They want that. They want it. And they hear this wonderful community of self-sacrifice before them in the way it's regarded, and they think, wouldn't it be nice if people thought of us that way? We're told uh, in it, this, in the passage, there's this phrase that's used, and it's an uncommon Greek word, where it says that Ananias kept back kept back. And uh, that same word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in that passage we just heard from the Old Testament, the story of Achan. There's a tie that's being going on here. There's a similar thing that was happening, this idea that it, to the expense of the community, I'm going to keep back. And uh, we're told, of course, that his wife understands it. His wife is in on it. And the thing about it, no one had to do that. The land was theirs. Peter says that. This wasn't compulsory. This was voluntary giving. And so Peter says, it was yours. You know, if, if they would have sold a fourth of it and brought in the money, people would have been just as, praise God for that. Jesus commended the widow that could hardly give anything. And so we have to ask ourselves, what was so bad about what they did? Because that's ultimately why we feel kind of put off by the judgment. You know, um, the body can suffer infections on the surface, or it can, infect, uh, it can suffer layers of infection. And sin works this way. There's sort of surface things, but then there are layers of it. So let's just take a look at the layers here that were present with Ananias and Sapphira. Now, the obvious one is greed, right? They wanted some of the money back because maybe, again, they were just thinking, of, you know, they were shopping around in the market and thought it'd be really nice to have that. Let's give some, but not all. And ultimately, you might say that's a scarcity mindset. Same with you and I, where we don't tithe, we don't give to God because we think, well, I'm not going to have enough. I've told you, you know, part of my history of giving, up and down, up and down, uh, was that, you know, I would tithe at the end of the month because I wanted to make sure, you know. And really, it just sort of took me a while, but God just kind of, and don't take the, oh, sounds like I'm prescribing when you have to tithe. Listen, I'm not. 
I'm just telling you, with my, what was going on with me, it was fear that God wouldn't provide. It was a scarcity mindset. And so in this case, maybe they had a scarcity mindset, greed. But under another layer is obviously self-righteousness. They wanted to appear more righteous than they really were. And that is a big deal to God. Because, you know, hypocrisy will totally... Think about how many people that say they won't get involved with Christianity because of hypocrisy. And this is why God went so after it with Israel. He would say, you know, your religious festivals and your feasts mean nothing because I see the injustice in your society. Or why Jesus went after the Pharisees and said, you're like whitewashed tombs. I mean, God really goes... He really goes berserk with this stuff because he sees what's at the heart of it. Why Jesus was so judgmental or, or, or would not judgmental, uh, judging upon the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul would say, you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, and this is the reason he gives because you desire praise from men, not from God. The reason that Ananias and Sapphira do this is because they desire praise and approval. And you think about all the integrity issues that we struggle with because of that. Just that. You know, where do you find yourself craving approval and praise in a community, and where does it lead you to compromise your integrity or tempt you to? And then on the other layer, you know, we have greed, we have self-righteousness, but another layer is arrogance. Peter says to Sapphira, you're testing God, and he's referring to when Israel tested God in the desert, meaning saying this to Sapphira, listen, God has been faithful to you. He has been generous to you, and you've hardened your heart. You've hardened your heart and become ungrateful to him. It's sort of this I deserve better mentality, right? I mean, you and I can easily get into these places, right? In fact, I, there are some Christians, I, I wonder if they'll ever get by it. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, what was it the root sin of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve? God gives them the entire world, everything. And they go, yeah, but you didn't give me this. And so... This hardness of heart, this pride. And then lastly, of course, that gets way to deception. They believe they can get away with it, that they're smarter than God. God gives Peter prophetic insight into this. Peter didn't condemn them to die. Nowhere does he say, I curse you or condemn. God just gave him prophetic insight to what they did, and judgment fell. Was it by natural causes? Was it God striking them down? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. Now, why is this layering important for us to see, important in our lives? Well, in simp you know, simply put, if you're familiar with the song Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace is only amazing, grace is only amazing if you understand how badly you need it, how badly you need the mercy. When you begin to understand, wow, this is the way my heart works, and you find you're going, man, I need help. I need God's help. They had an opportunity to repent, both Ananias and Sapphira. They had an opportunity to say, I owned up. And they didn't. And judgment came. 
See, when, when you think your problem with sin can be dealt with with Neosporin instead of like a deep, deep work of God, well, this passage is just going to seem kind of foolish and offensive. Instead of opening their heart to the Holy Spirit, they had opened their hearts to Satan. Still, though, let's move from what, what the sin was, to why, ultimately why it was treated so uh, radically by God. Let me mention three things. Um, You know, something that's become more common in our age is charity impersonation, right? Uh, I was reading a story of uh, one family that had four tax-exempt organizations supposedly for cancer research and took in 187 million of false donations. Now, when we hear that, it's not just a crime of greed. We're like, that's a crime against society. That's a crime against humanity. These people that are just, you know, their hearts want to cure cancer, and this is what you did. Ultimately, Ananias and Sapphira, their crime was against the community. How do we see that? Well, the whole passage starts off with this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. They had everything in common. The most beautiful thing about this new community was their oneness, their trust, the bond that they had together. And this was the thing that Ananias and Sapphira compromised. This is the thing that they betrayed. First of all, Ananias betrayed his wife that way. He compromised their oneness as a marriage couple. But then when it talks about laying this at the feet of the apostles, it was mostly likely at what, they, what we would call their weekly worship service, where there are like thousands of people there in Solomon's portico. And so in front of the entire community, they introduce, amidst this sincerity and self-sacrifice, this like, lust and deception to be raised up and applauded and approved. The Proverbs say this, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. You know, I was thinking back, um, and it also feels, it also betrays those. Lying ultimately betrays community. Um, Several years ago, there was a, a minister in our region, a minister who was like a, a mentor to me, who was instrumental in helping start this church, uh, involved with this church. And um, it came out that great scandal, that he, you know, he had been unfaithful to his wife, there was financial questions, this and that. And, uh, and I remember when I heard, you know, like everybody else, um, I was just completely shocked. Uh, I'd spent a fair bit of time with this person. I would say we were warm friends. Um, and uh, I never heard from him until there had to be a meeting of the regional ministers. And uh, 
He came in because he had to appear before them, be held accountable. And when he saw me, he just smiled like things were the same like they'd always been. And I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed. I never got to say it to him. But I was like, you know, I don't expect, I didn't expect you would call me with the first 20 or first 30 people you called or even the first 50 people you called. But you should have called me. Because we had a relationship. You know, deceit ultimately compromises oneness in community. You know, that's the thing that uh, the Lord is so zealous about here. Listen to what Paul says when he, he's talking in Ephesians about when the Spirit makes us new, we put off the old self and we become made new in true righteousness and holiness. And then the very first thing he says after that is this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Here's the reason why. For we are members of one another. I belong to you. You belong to me. That's why we, we can't deceive and lie. And this is just the vision that Jesus had, right? When Jesus prayed, he said, the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you and me, and that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The entire goal of redemption in the Christian faith is this, the whole project of salvation that God started all the suffering that the Son of God went through, the whole plan of grace that runs through history has one goal. I will be their God and they will be my people. Unity, oneness with God. Only the Christian faith talks about God that way. Not energy, not power, not an enabler, someone that wants you. And you and I will not be we will not be content until we know we're wanted that way. And this is the reality that accounts Peter saying, you lied. This is why he immediately goes, you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've lied to God because God is, the Holy Spirit's God. The, the Bible would say that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit because he's a person. And so the judgment is severe because in this new community, it's not just someone decided not to give their money. Trust had been betrayed. Listen to this from Proverbs. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable, an abomination. What would you put on that list? All of us would say, I can, I can give you the six most detestable things. This is what it says. Haughty eyes, pridefully looking at people. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. Ananias and Sapphira did all of them except one, shedding blood. The Lord hates that. And if you've ever been lied to and betrayed in relationship. I bet you've had some of that righteous anger. I bet you understand where it comes from. But also, there's a flip side of this, not just the fear of the Lord, 
the more secure, when, when you get connected to God through Jesus, the more you and I really begin to believe <laughs> Jesus' prayer that we are one with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and we are one with one another. And we have been loved into that oneness. We have been kept into that oneness. The more you and I believe that, we'll be more transparent, more vulnerable with each other. This is not easy to do in Washington. I, you know, something happens. The moment Ananias and Fira uh, began to think we're going to do this, you know that they pulled back from community. Because that's what sin does. And so with our ability to be transparent and vulnerable with one another, and yeah, you use wisdom, you know, who can I share this with? But it's pulling you into the light. It's pulling our community more into the light. But let me wrap up with the two quick things, two other things about why it was such a threat. Well, the second thing was just the witness it was. You know, people are so hungry and thirsty for honest, true community, more than ever. Not perfect, fake, projecting, cover-up community. And you could tell this community was attractive because we're told in both of them that large numbers of people were flocking into it. There was something there that was beautiful. It was life-giving. It gave hope. And God had to protect it. The scandal had to be dealt with publicly. Because ultimately it was. Jesus said about that oneness, the world will know that I was sent by preserving that. The witness was at stake. But lastly, it wasn't just the sin against the oneness, the sin against the witness, but there's a whole thing of responsiveness this is what we read. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. When did Ananias and Sapphira shut their heart off to that? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, the moment they began to covet looking righteous, in front of everybody was the moment they let go of the free righteousness that was given them through Jesus. And the moment they uh, wanted the applause of man was the moment they, they let go of the applause of heaven. The moment they held on to this idea that I need to have this stuff so I can have heaven on earth was the moment they let go of the fact that they were co-heirs with Christ. The gospel helps you and I, as we understand we're accepted, as we understand that Christ's death and resurrection offers me to be holy and blameless in God's sight. I don't have to fake anymore. We're one new people together. But we have to respond to the gospel. That's our way in. That's the ability to hold off all the other stuff. Seemed like such a small thing. Seemed like such a small thing. But there really was a lot at stake. And it's often the case that small little things uh, really tell bigger stories. 
The story that we want to be telling ourselves is the story of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we don't pretend, again, there's no way, not being you, that we can still not uh, have part of us that goes, this is just too harsh, too severe. And yet, Lord, we've, we've known enough of you and known enough through our own wounds that there is something critical that you are preserving. I pray for our family of God. I pray even for this week, Lord. Uh, there, there are those of us in this community that need to unburden ourselves. Maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's a struggle, a bondage we feel. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give um, those very people grace to speak into the light. And I pray uh, that you would pour your gospel upon them. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.